Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Well, today we are going to continue in this message series, Wrestling with God. The name and the title itself, Wrestling with God, suggests that this is not a quick entanglement. This is not a touch God and go, like go through the drive-thru, fast food, throw up a prayer, and I move on. Wrestling with God suggests grabbing hold of God for a period of time, a season. And during that season of time, your prayer is simply, God, I will not let go of you until I see your face. Until you bless me. Now, granted, in Christ, we are blessed with so many blessings but there's times in our lives where we're searching and we're looking for an answer we're just going okay god are you are you still around are you uh, are you there and we're looking for god's some kind of response from god a sign if you will god are, are you there wrestling with god is about grabbing hold of god for however long it takes till you see his face it's important that we express it that way because so many times when we just see his face and just know he's there then it's like okay the specific thing for what i want and wish in my life it may not happen but god if i just know you're with me if i see your face then i know it's going to be okay it's going to be okay so wrestling with god is not a short-term entanglement it is a long-term season and period of seeking God so that's what we're talking about today now in Exodus chapter 32 we're going to uh, be introduced to another man who wrestled with God and he actually employed a tactic a wrestling tactic if you will that just might help you today if you were to do the same thing. And, and I'll be honest with you. You might think it to be very irreverent, what we're talking about. You might think it to be very uh, not polite. <laughs> but the method that Moses employs is really good. Because it... it, it encourages a bare-knuckled honesty and transparency with God when you wrestle with Him, when you pray. So in Exodus chapter 32, to give you some background, God had delivered the children of Israel from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He called a man by the name of Moses now let's put this in perspective for just a second. A people 
a people group, a nation, had wrestled with God in prayer for 400 years. And then God raises up a man, a man named Moses. Moses successfully leads the children of Israel out of slavery. Now they're on their way to make them his special people and to mark them in a special way. God's going to give to them the law, the Mosaic covenant. So God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and there on Mount Sinai, he delivers to Moses the oracles of the law. And there Moses is very careful to write them down and to be precise with what God's given to him that will be unique markers, if you will, that will identify his people. Well, guess what? While Moses is meeting with God on the mountain, the Israelites, they become impatient. Now, I want you just to say that word with me today because I'm sure for most of you, you never, you never, you never get impatient, do you? Especially when it comes to prayer or asking God for answers in your life, right? Let's just say that with me. It's like therapy. Yes, Lord, sometimes I get impatient. The Israelites, they grew impatient. And so they thought, well, God, man, you've left us down here. And that dude, Moses, we don't even know where he is. But we, we need a God. We need an, an object of affection and worship. So somebody comes up with a great idea and they say, okay, well, let's do this. Let's take all of our jewelry the gold from our earrings and our necklaces. And let's make for ourselves an idol. And you think about the handiness of that. I mean, we can just grab this idol, take the idol where we want to go. It's always with us. It's always there. We can always see it. We can touch it. It's there. Somebody comes up with a great idea. Let's build an idol. So they make for themselves a molten or a, a golden, they, molt, they melt all their gold. They make for themselves a golden calf. And they're like, here we go. Here is our new God. Well, do you think this is going to escape the Lord? Absolutely not. And it doesn't escape Moses. And so in verse 8, I'll read this to you. And then we're going to jump in verse 9 together. The Lord speaking to Moses. They have quickly, speaking of the Israelites, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What? Are you kidding me? Man. The Lord said to Moses, verse 9, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. He said, what in the world does the word obstinate mean? It means to be hard-headed. It means to be stubborn. It means to be unwilling to change. They're an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you. Speaking to Moses, I will make of you a great nation. Now, we don't know if there's a time period that takes place between verses 10 and 11. It could be quick. It could be days. 
We don't know. So here's what Moses does. He comes back, and now he is going to wrestle with God. Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why? Why does your anger burn against your people? Whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? And then notice what Moses does next. He gives God a command. He tells God what to do. He says, turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Then he says a key word in verse 13, remember, 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 remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Remember God, that's what you said. Verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Uh, Father, as we give ourselves to you during this time, Lord, we would not want to do this without your power. We won't even want to try to do this without you, Lord. So we're trusting your spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher. Speak truth to our lives and help us, Father, to learn to learn a new way of wrestling with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So a few weeks ago, I shared with you uh, BleacherReport.com. I shared with you their top 10 wrestlers of all time, right? Uh, WWF, WWE, top 10 wrestlers of all time. Surely I, you guys remember that from a couple of weeks ago. I hope that, you know, your top wrestler made the list. I don't know if it did. There's a couple of guys that I really like, have liked over the years. They didn't make the list. And I didn't understand why they didn't make the list because I thought they were really great wrestlers. But then I learned that in 2018, when Bleacher Report did this, they identified four categories. Four categories by which they graded each wrestler. Now, this is the real stuff, right? We're talking... WWE, WWF, we're not talking, you know, like the Olympics or high school, even college. We're talking the real stuff. You know what I'm saying? So these are like legit, what I call legit wrestling categories. Number one, by which they graded the wrestlers. Number one, their entrance music, their theme song. If you smell what the rock is cooking, anyone here, if you smell what the rock, anybody remember that? Don't y'all dare leave me hanging today, okay? Y'all sit out there and you act so prim and proper. And I know some of you uh, are diehard uh, wrestling fans. I know you are. I know you are. Okay. Entrance music. The other category was how good is the wrestler on the mic when they give interviews? When they deliver, you know, a real powerful monologue. Uh, how many of you remember a uh, cup of coffee in the big time? 
Anybody? Cup of coffee in the big time. Y'all are so bad. Macho man, Randy Savage, right? Cup of coffee in the big time. The other category was how good are they actually in the ring? There are a number of belts that they got over time. And did they have the ability to really carry a, like a, a main event, you know, pay-per-view show? Did they have that ability to do that? Those were three categories by which they graded each wrestler. But then there was a last one. There was a last category. And this last one was not theme music, not how good are they on the mic, how many belts they got, can they bring a main event pay-per-view special. It was what is the best finishing move? The best finishing move. Um, hey, uh, the people's elbow? Was that a people's elbow? Yes, that was a people's elbow right there. What about rock bottom? How about Ric Flair? You know, like the four-leg, uh, four-whatever leg lock, whatever, four-way leg lock. You know, y'all remember that, right? Yeah, y'all are getting all pumped about this, right? Well, here's the question I want to ask today. Do you think when it comes to wrestling with God, there could actually be a move or a tactic that helps you? That maybe moves God in such a way that He responds in your favor. In his book on prayer, Philip Yancey suggests that there is a maneuver, there is a tactic for wrestling with God, praying to God, that is actually more biblical than probably anything we have ever seen before. It's actually the tactic or the maneuver of arguing with the Lord. I know some of you are going, that just seems so disrespectful to me, Brother Allen. You know, I just, you know, it just doesn't seem very polite. It just doesn't seem very nice. But Yancey in his book on prayer says that, you know, when we actually look at the prayers of people in Scripture, their prayers are embedded with pleas, with argumentation, with just what we'll call a bare knuckled brute force honesty that pleads one's case. And it seems when people approach the Lord in this way, some great things can happen. For one, and I, and I, and I believe this with all my heart, sometimes I think the Lord wants to know just how serious are you when it comes to your relationship with me? How serious are you about the thing that's on your heart today? Oh, you said I wish this, or I, you said I wish that. But to what degree have you, with fervency and immediacy, brought that to the Lord? Did you bring it to Him just kind of suddenly and kind of quick, and then you moved on to something else? Like you were at one fast food restaurant, and then you just went to another was it something that you felt so strongly and passionate about that you just camped there and you stayed there? And don't you know, and have you ever had this to happen that as you start to pray and seek God, as you start to share things with Him and express things to Him, sometimes His Spirit just says, that's kind of silly, you know? 
maybe that's not such a big deal. I mean, it's important, but maybe you should see it a different way. And the thing that you think you want may not really be what you need. And then there's other times that you come to the Lord with a fervency in prayer and His Spirit is like putting gasoline on a fire. His Spirit is just saying, come on. Oh, you yeah, yeah. That's like saying, sick him to a bulldog. You know, yeah. The Spirit just says, yes, this is right. And you just, it just builds in you. And you stay there. And it's like, yes, and amen, and yes, and amen. I believe with all my heart that many times when we come to God and we, we lay these things out to Him, He may show us more about ourselves than what He shows us about Himself or the situation, our own hearts. Yancey said that we see this all throughout the Scripture. Uh, for example, the psalmist, when he writes about how he approached God, there's one particular psalm, listen to this, there's one particular psalm of David that says this, and, and David pleading to the Lord, he says, I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. I've lost my voice. My throat is parched. My, I'm, I'm going blind because I'm trying to see God so hard. Did you see the movie, uh, The Apostle by Robert Duvall? It was released several years ago. Robert Duvall played a preacher who had a hot temper and a criminal record. His name was Sonny, and there's a scene in the movie where he's stomping around in an upstairs room, he's kicking furniture, and he's yelling. One of the neighbors hears him and calls to complain about the noise, and they say, sounds like you have a madman over there. Sonny's mom smiles and explains, that's just Sonny. Ever since he's been a little bitty boy, my son's been talking to the Lord. Sometimes he talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells to the Lord, or yells at the Lord. Yancey said there was a time in his life where he was in a church service one day, and in the church service there was a time that they gave for people just to start praying to God, for people to be able to stand up and start praying a prayer. He said, I'll never forget this young woman who prayed a prayer in church. He said, I've never heard anyone pray this way in church before. I'll probably never hear it again. But there was something about her prayer that was just so honest. And it was just so real. He said, in a clear but wavering voice, a young woman began with the words. God, I hated you after the rape. How could you let this happen to me? The congregation abruptly fell silent. No more rustling of papers or shifting in their, seat, in their seats. She said, and I hated the people in this church who tried to comfort me. I didn't want comfort. I wanted revenge. I wanted to hurt back. I thank you, God, that you didn't give up on me. And neither did some of the people here. You kept after me, and I came back to you, and I'm coming back to you now, and I ask you to heal the scars of my soul. 
honest, bare-knuckled praying to God. And you find it all throughout Scripture, and you also find it throughout time in history with people who earnestly sought God with all their heart. They argued with God. Moses, our character today is no stranger to arguing with God. When the children of Israel, when they were wrestling with God in Egyptian slavery, they prayed. And they were praying for deliverance. And then God comes to a man by the name of Moses and calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he let the Israelites go. And what did Moses do? Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God, you've got the wrong time. I remember when, when God began to move in my life about ministry. And I was like, no way, God. I'm, I'm not your guy. I'm not cut out for that, Lord. I was 17 years old. Lord, no, uh-uh. You got the wrong guy. Moses says, I've never been eloquent of speech. God, you've got the wrong guy. He said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Not me. Moses was accustomed to, to arguing with God. So when you have this scene of the Israelites and they, they build this molten calf, this golden calf, and they, they make this as an object of worship. And then God says what he's going to do. Moses is no stranger to coming back at God. Just to be clear, here's what God said he was going to do. He identifies them as being an obstinate people. This is verse 9. They were stubborn. It's kind of interesting, and we're going to be talking about change today. And, and, and do our prayers change us? Do they change God? How do they affect God? If I argue with God, does that mean that I'm going to see him move in a certain way? God says to Moses, I've seen this people. Verse 9, behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I'll make of you a great nation. And so what does Moses do? He comes to God. And there's some things that we're going to see here that Moses does. First of all, he reminds God of his promises. Now you're sitting there going, I just can't imagine God having any kind of remembrance issue I may be losing my mind but I don't think God would lose his mind the reality is no no God doesn't have any memory issues and yes God would know how things would play out but yet God is dealing with you and he's dealing with me and we can change and we can fluctuate and we can be one way this day and we can be another day Another way, another day. Moses reminds God of his previous promises that he had made to his people. It probably does Moses good that as Moses entreats the Lord, he is personally reminded of the promises of God. God for us would be, God, wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute. I feel 
Bob, this is hopeless. But you are a God of hope. You've told me that you will never leave me. You've told me you'll never forsake me. God, I, I remember that. God, yeah, you said that to me. God, you've told me. There's been times where, Lord, I felt like I was just being separated from your love. I just felt like darkness enveloped me. I, I met a guy yesterday at the Field and Stream Hunting Expo. I got to tell this story. I got to. I was really tired yesterday morning. But I wanted to go to this expo, and, and so we went. And I just kind of walk in, and, and, and I mean, I'm like being overtaken by everything. And I'm sure the people who are with me was like, well, there goes Alan. He just goes off by himself. And I just, I just get lost and stuff like that. And so I walk up, and there's this guy. And he's standing there, and he's holding something in his hand. And uh, he stuck it out to me. And it looked like uh, an iPod that you play music on. It looked like an iPod. Oh, this dude's handing me an iPod. And he hands it out to me. He looks at me. This is the first person I talked to. I'm not kidding you. I walked through the doors, walked down one aisle, and at the end of it, I walk into this guy. He looked at me. He says, so what do you do for your line of work? I said, I'm a minister. He said, no kidding. He said, I just gave my life to the Lord at one of these expos two months ago. I said, what? And he said, yeah. He said, some guys came over to my booth and started sharing Jesus with me. And I, I actually gave my life. I got saved at like, this expo thing like two months ago. Oh, that is stinking cool. Wow. You know. And this is what he said to me. He said, my life was on a path of darkness. Of just darkness. And somebody shared the gospel. And this dude was beaming. Just beaming. He couldn't wait to sell me this massage device that was actually going to put on my back and all this stuff, but he was beaming. I was like, we can pray, but I'm not buying your device. Okay. On a path of darkness. Felt alone. Wait a minute, God. You've told me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ. Just reminding God and reminding yourself of the promises that he's made to you. So Moses, in this discussion, he's like, do you really want your enemies to say that you led your people out to kill them, God? Remember Abraham. Remember Isaac. Remember Israel. Your servants to whom you made these promises, God. This is in verse 13. He also tells the Lord. In verse 13, your servants to whom you swore by yourself. This is a really, really important statement. Your servants to whom you swore by yourself. And he reminds God, and he's reminding himself, that when God made covenant promises to Israel, God looked around and was like, okay, who's, I will uphold my end. Well, they uphold their end. And guess what? God knew. God knew they would not be able to be perfect and follow through. So here's what God does. God says, I can't, I can't, I can't go into covenant relationship with them where they are like saying, hey, part of this is on me, God, and part's on you. God said, 
since I could swear by no one greater, I swore to myself. Which means that God made a promise to himself about Israel and how he would treat Israel. And guess what? Under the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you are in Christ, you are under the new covenant, God has made promises to himself about you and your family and your lives. And it's not dependent or contingent upon your faithfulness. It is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. He's made promises to himself about you. So when you fail and you mess up and you blow it, you go to bed at night and you lay your head down with peace because your well-being in the hands of God is not on you, but on the hands of God. Moses reminds him, you swore by yourself. And what does the scripture say? In verse 14, it says, So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Some of you are going, Brother Allen, don't we see in scripture that God doesn't change? What's going on here with God changing his mind about this? Let me recall to you just a couple of scriptures real quick, okay? Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should not repent or change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Here's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1, verse 17, just to add to it. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or change or shadow of turning or shadow due to change. He said, wait a minute, doesn't the scripture tell us that God doesn't change? But yet it says here in Exodus 32, God changed his mind. Here's what you need to know about God. God in his character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is who he is. He is a rock. He is immovable in his character and in the essence of his being. God never changes. He's also this, guys. He's also consistent in his disposition toward people who do change. So when people are like, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't care about you. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to go my way. And when there's an unrepentant heart against the Lord, God consistently says, okay, I will, it's not Burger King. You can have it your way. And judgment comes every time to the unrepentant heart. But when the heart changes and the heart is humble and the heart is broken, God consistently brings mercy. He consistently brings grace. 
His disposition is consistent depending upon which you, what you and what people bring to him. This is so clear in Jeremiah chapter 18. God says in verse 7, At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will do what? I will relent. I will change concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. So God does not change in his character, but God will, will and God does change in his actions toward people. Moses brought it and he argued and he contended and he pleaded. And here's something else about Moses I want to leave you with today. When Moses argued and pleaded with God, he didn't do it for what he'd get out of it. God had said, I'll make a great nation through you, Moses. And Moses said, no, God, that's not what I signed up for. God, this is, this is about your people. This is about other people. And, and let me share this with you. Moses pleaded with God on behalf of a people who would wish him dead. Because they didn't always understand his leadership. But he saw a much bigger picture. And he was praying outside of himself. For something much bigger than him. So today, with whatever is coming at you, whatever is nagging you, whatever is getting at you, whatever you need to see God's face in, ask the Lord to show you the big picture of what he wants to do in and through you or through your circumstance. And as you contend with God and plead with God, might he work a greater thing in and through your life than anything that you could specifically ask for in this space and in this amount of time. So today I invite you to stand with us. To bow your heads. If you ask the simple question, is it okay for me to come at God with bare-knuckled honesty and transparency? Is it okay for me to contend and to put up the best argument that I can bring? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And if you do that, you will grant to God one of the things He most wants from your life. Let me slow down and say this again. Is it okay if I, if I come at Him? Bare knuckled honesty, transparency. Is it okay? Yes. Because you will grant to God the thing that He wants most out of your life. And that's time with you. He would rather wrestle with you 
and you come at him in that way, then you not acknowledge him or spending any time with him at all. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.